welcome to Boiling Point. We know them as the friendly and playful friends to us humans who like to rescue shipwrecked sailors from drowning and from getting eaten by sharks. Of course, I'm talking about dolphins. But there's a different side to them. As all animals, dolphins want one thing. They want to mate. Researchers found that male dolphins gang up to reach their goal. Their male friendships are quite complex and can last for decades. Our guest has studied them and will tell us about the tales she learned from the dolphins in just a minute. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. Tonight in the studio, it's your hosts, Kat and our show intern, Dom. Hello. Our guest tonight is the behavioral ecologist, Dr. Livia Gerber. Livia did her PhD on dolphin behavior at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. As Switzerland still doesn't have any wild dolphins, despite the efforts of climate change, Livia ventured out to Western Australia to study the dolphins of Shark Bay. By now, Livia works at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and continues her study on the dolphins. Welcome to the show, Livia. Thank you for having me, Kat. You did your PhD on the behavior of dolphins in Shark Bay, um, and these dolphins have been studied for quite a while. What's so special about them? There is a lot of special things about the dolphins in Shark Bay. Firstly, they are one of the, the few places where the dolphin actually approach the beach and they can be fed fish, which is great for tourists. Um, that's, that's not really why I'm interested in them. Sorry, that's what's happening in Monkey Maya, right? Yeah, that's in Monkey Maya. <laughs> and um, one other specialty of them is that they are actually using tools, so they do have culture. But the main reason why I'm interested in them is that they have a highly complex social structure. Well, actually only the males have, are that complex. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is not really what we expect. Not Being at humans, all. right? That's true. No, usually, yeah. It's... Anyway, cool. Okay. And um, there are quite a few dolphins in Shark Bay. How many dolphins are there and how big is that area? Shark Bay is separated into two different gulfs, the eastern and the western one. I think the whole area is approximately the size maybe to Switzerland, and there's around 4,000 dolphins. Oh, right. Okay. So I guess it gets a bit cozy sometimes. Um, so when you were out there in the field, how many hours on the boat would you, st would you spend every day? If it was a good day without wind, because that's pretty much the wind dictated whether we were on the boat or not, then it would just be sunrise to sunset. Nice. That sounds pretty good. And how long, like how many months in, in one field season would you be out there? Um, the whole Austral winter. So usually that would be from June until late October, early November. Yeah, nice. That's pretty cool. And probably a bit more comfortable than being there in summer, right? That would be a bit Absolutely. Intense. I've stayed once until December and... Even the, the floor of the boat became very, very hot. Wow. <laughs> you could have prepared your lunch there, I'm sure. Um, so back to the dolphins. How are they organized then? So how do they, yeah, how, what is their structure they live in? So we see the females pretty much being busy with raising their offspring. So we see female groups with their calves. Usually females with similarly aged calves are together. And then we see the males that are together throughout their lives as we want to say they have very strong friendships that last from their early childhood all the way pretty much until they retire and die so would that be um so would that be like 
yeah, I don't know, um, childhood friends, like their mothers like to hang out together and then they would make friends as well like, as calves and then decide to um, continue together in life? Is that, that a bit how it That's pretty works? much what we see. So from dolphins, as soon as they kind of start being together from, from a very young age, often when they're maybe still dependent or they just start being independent from their mom. So they're, they're these little juveniles. They, they, they start being together and they form these incredibly strong friendships um, with with a few others, maybe let's say two, four or 14 others. And then they stay together in these groups for the rest of their lives. Yeah, wow. And um, it's not just those tiny core groups. There are more like this is way more complex, right? So what else? What are the different levels of uh, friendship groups? In so the we dolphins? S- yeah, we see these core groups, which ex- which um consists of about four to 14 males. And then within these groups, there's usually two to three males that have very strong social bonds to each other. And they are also the ones that share matings. Right. And um, you, I've kind of heard this comparison before that you compared it with a, uh, with like a soccer group. So how does the, how does that work? Like the different levels of, um, of alliances. Basically? So how I usually compare it with if it, what we have termed uh, the second order alliance, which is the social core unit, is pretty much the soccer team, which are these four to 14 dolphins. And then within this soccer team, you have kind of closer friends of two to three males that then work together. Yeah, right. And what's the reason that they do that? So the reason why they do that is because it's very, very hard for a single male to coerce a female into into matings because... If a female doesn't want to mate, then she can very easily escape. She can swim up, she can swim down, she can go right and left. But if um, a single male, so for a single male, it's very hard to control a female. But if if he's actually joined by, by two other males that kind of all are on all of her sides, then it's much easier to actually get to mate. And one aspect of that, I guess, uh, important to mention that males and male and dol- um, male and female dolphins are about the same size. So it's hard for the one male to dominate the female. Yes, exactly. They are not in all populations the same size, but in Shark Bay, they are um, very hard to distinguish because they're pretty much exactly the same. So what does make a female dolphin attractive to males? I think what makes her attractive is pretty much that she is ready to mate again, so that she has a calf that is about to be independent, because in every female raises her calf by herself. So the males, they are just hanging out in their kind of marriages to themselves and their lifelong friendships, while the females, they are the ones that are actually getting pregnant, raising the offspring by themselves. So as soon as a female is without an offspring and ready to mate again, then that's what just makes her attractive because it's something that happens very rarely. <laughs> so the the males are not that picky, actually. I wouldn't say so. No, I never would actually say male dolphin is picky one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you said you mentioned this before. So the females they live in groups as well, but those groups are much more, um, I, I would say, fluent in a way. Yes, they're right? much more fluent. So I would say females that hang out together, usually have similarly aged calves. Also, what we observe is that they usually keep hanging out with their relatives, which is something that we don't see in males. 
Yeah, right. So with their mothers and grandmothers and whoever. Is yeah, with alive. their sisters. Because I think what makes uh, females hanging out together is whether they have similarly aged calves. Whereas for a male, it's really we have been to kindergarten together and we stay together for the rest of their life. So they are not as fluent in their relationships. Did you ever find males where, yeah, well, one single male that just couldn't make friends or a group of two that weren't that successful either? It happens very rarely that there is a male that simply cannot find um, some friends. I Just anecdotal evidence, I, I once knew of a male that just couldn't form one of these alliances. And then when I actually looked into it a little bit, I just found that all of his childhood friends actually, for some reason, died and disappeared because, before he went before he reached adulthood. And I think he just couldn't connect with any others. But most of them are really just hanging out all the time together. And when we see maybe only two males hanging out together all the time, then they're usually older males that have just lost all of their friends along the way. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that's kind of a limiting factor to their fertility, I guess, right? Because if, yeah, they don't have many friends left, then um, they're not very successful. Yeah, in what we either. sometimes see is that the very old males then join much younger males again to kind of join their alliances and the young males are welcoming usually it, it depends a lot um, I would say sometimes maybe they're welcoming because the older males they bring in a certain level of experience but then the older males usually just hang out a little bit so they are never as as close to the core Again. Yeah. And uh, sometimes there's this discussion that it's hard for adult humans to make friendships, but it sounds like for dolphins, it's much harder. I would say it's very hard as well. Yeah. <laughs> for males. <laughs> it's a, a tough world out there, that's for sure. And um, the males, like the, the close friends among the male groups, they also, yeah, they also nurture their friendship. So what, what do they do to, yeah, uh, bond or um, stay, stay close friends? What we see is that they are together throughout the year. So they are not just together when they actually find a fertile female and when they need to, to cooperate in order to mate. So they they feed together. They also like sleep next to each other. We also see, um, similar to if you're familiar with grooming in primates, where they kind of um, just pet each other. We actually see something, a similar behavior in the male dolphins that they're petting each other with their pectoral fins. They swim synchronously all the time. So they spend a lot of time together. And they even cuddle sometimes. Yeah, as, as well as it goes when you just have to. to... <laughs> That's right, if you don't have hands. Oh, yeah. well. You make it work somehow, I guess. Yeah, you can just be very, very close to each other. <laughs> And um, it's actually quite rare in the mammalian world, um, among mammalian males, to cooperate, to convince a female to mate. Um, what are the other few exceptions? We see it in, in lions where you have the, the lion packs that also cooperate, but these usually consist of or very often consist of relatives, which is not the case in dolphins. And um, there's also in chimpanzees, there is some evidence that also their males have friendships that actually serve to to increase their number of offspring. And do you have any idea why that is? Why is it so rare that uh, the males um, yeah, form, form a gang and then work together? Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. I also think that very often, of course, a male would have higher chances to outcompete others if they work together. But in, in so many species, we just have very strict dominance hierarchy where a single male can just outcompete others. And then, of course, if you can just... Um, 
ensure that no one else gets to mate and you get all of the offspring, then that's, of course, a, a better deal than if you have to share. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like it probably comes with quite a high price in a way that you have to be a very social um, species, which means you probably have to have a quite a big brain and be fairly intelligent to be able to handle all those connections. Yes, you so need to know who are actually who are your friends, who are your enemies, and maybe also like, are your enemies stronger than, than your friends? And you need to make a lot of calculations and kind of just having this whole social network in, in your brain. Do you know, do you have the number there? I'm not sure if that's even possible to assess, but do you know how many dolphins, how many friends or in general individual dolphins a dolphin can recognize? I don't really have a number of how many, but I would say just from having observed all of the males there and all of the other dolphins, they are aware whether there's a befriended alliance or whether they are around friends or not. And so at least they have to know their friends. And I also think that if they actually hear a whistle from an alliance that they know they're not friends with and might be stronger, they actually go away. So it's not just they know more than just their friends. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, but it also would not only be uh, visual, but also, as you said, whistles. So yes. they're, obviously their audio reception is very good. I think that's also where, where they differ a lot as long as... They are very complex and highly social, com similar to humans, but the, where we have eyes, I would say they have ears. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you just had a, pub a study published where you showed, um, you've kind of mentioned it a bit before, but where you kind of showed the correlation between the number of friends the dolphins has and its success in mating. What did you find there? There I found that male dolphins that have more male friends sire most offspring, which was... Or which is actually very surprising if we compare it to other species where males actually are fighting and then it's the strongest male that gets all of the all of the offspring. And in dolphins, it's really, it seems that the more friends you have, the more offspring you sire. And for me, it was a, a very nice finding because I was always wondering, like, why do they invest so much time into nurturing these friendships already from a very early age on? And now that we can actually say, oh, look, the ones that have more friends and have stronger, like a bigger social networks, those are the ones that sire the most offspring. It also makes sense biologically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And does this actually, do the friendship groups also hunt together? Are they more successful in catching fish? I don't think anyone has ever looked into whether their cooperation is also more successful in, in hunting fish or just it's definitely in hunting females. Um, I think that would be a very interesting future study that you're proposing here. <laughs> oh, well, it, yeah, I feel like we're not really doing um, doing your research field justice in the way that it sounds like really good fun being on the boat uh, watching dolphins, but it must be also really, really hard, right? Because you're on the surface and the dolphins are mostly in the water and how do you even tell what's happening? It's very hard and sometimes I think that we have made this whole body of research from just seeing maybe the 10% or even less of their lives that they actually spend on the surface of the water and so many things that happen underwater, we have we have no idea. It would be very handy to recruit a spy, like a dolphin spy who can then just record what's happening. That would maybe. be amazing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure the, the navies of this world tried this uh, in the past, but not so much spying on other dolphins, but more <laughs> so spying on, on uh, humans. Yeah, the only thing that we've tried is to attach trackers to the dolphins also to just then keep track of where they're actually going who are they with when we don't see them that was very unsuccessful because their skin is so 
so smooth that nothing can be attached to it. Yeah, so their skin is basically made to not have anything attaching to them, right? So they don't even get barnacles, do they? They don't know. I've never seen one. Yeah, yeah, interesting. That's, I guess, the difference to um, big and lazy humpback whales, like the barnacles have every chance there. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, on a slightly different note, you spent quite a bit of time in a very remote community. So um, you spent a lot of time in Shark Bay, which is, we figured this out before, if you drive fast about eight hours north of Perth, <laughs> and you lived in a small town there. So um, how, did you, how did you extend your study into the human realm as well? So I was living in, in a mining town called Useless Loop that also consisted of, I would say, 90% of male population. So I could sometimes combine my studies on the male dolphins with <laughs> studies on male human behavior, which um, was remarkably similar at times. <laughs> I was about to say, any anecdotes? Where was the similarity? <laughs> I would also say sometimes lots of men working together to get the attention of a few females. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I'm sure you, you and your colleagues were very popular in that town. It was definitely always, I think, news when the dolphin girls arrived. And interestingly, we also had male assistants and, and male researchers that were then just also considered as dolphin girls, which was sometimes <laughs> not very nice for them. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And uh, I guess in, in the human world, we have wingmans. And then the question is, do the dolphins have fin males? <laughs> <laughs> I actually always compare it to, to wingmen, but yeah. I think it's much better what you just suggested. <laughs> I think I need to remember that term. Although we have to go back into detail there again. So um, it's actually not clear is it is it true like when a group of males say like four males so surround a female to try to mate with her then um do, do we know who gets a chance but we think that everyone gets a chance but of course um, it's also something that we would to look at into more detail but just from from our observations it seems that there is no dominant hierarchy within these male alliances so They're friends and they share everything. <laughs> nice. That's like ideal. <laughs> Such harmony. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but one more question about, um, so I introduced you as a um, behavioral ecologist, but that kind of like excludes or that didn't mention uh, or ignores one other quality or skill you have. So you're also a geneticist. So you also do genetic work on the dolphin. So how did you actually find out if, um, if it's like there's a group of males and if they are related or not? So how we do the, the genetic test or the relatedness among the males is that um, we take biopsy samples of, of their skin and then um, we take them to the lab and we analyze them. And then we can, similar to humans, we can run paternity tests, look who is the most successful male and then also look at their genetic patterns and, and figure out their, their relatedness. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well. That makes sense. It's just I find it very cool to combine those two skills of behavioral ecology and um, genetics. I guess that's quite handy to have. It, it's very interesting. And I just um, remembered a funny anecdote because we also used this modified biopsy gun that looks similar to, to a real rifle. And there were sometimes people that radioed in 
Um, and they said, like, no, 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 there's people shooting dolphins when it was actually us taking biopsy samples. So we tried to be very under the radar with that because <laughs> it's the last thing that we're doing. <laughs> for sure. I can imagine that would be very um, sensitive. To and it's thing. not harmful for them at all. No. Sometimes they don't even flinch. <laughs> yeah, I've, I think I've been out on a, the UNSW um, research boat and it had like in big letters on the side research written yep. on it so exactly that's what we need to do and mm. also we don't kill them we just take a very very small tissue sample and then um does it float on the surface or do how do you retrieve that sample it is in a dart that floats the dart is red and and floats on the surface so it's pretty much like the dart touches the skin takes a little sample out and then is on the surface and we just go and collect it Oh, very handy. Nice. All right. Yeah, unfortunately, we have to wrap up here. Um, we only have a few minutes left. But um, thank you so much for being our guest on the show, Livia. Thank you for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Boiling Point. We will be back with a new science story next week. And if you like this episode, feel free to subscribe to our podcast or your podcast app of choice and follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. And we have a last song for you, which Livia shared. And I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I'm very excited to, to do that. It's called Sunshine Lollipops and Rainbows by Leslie Gore. And Livia, why did you choose this song? I chose it because we couldn't go onto the boat and watch dolphins every day. Sometimes it was too windy and then we just couldn't go out. So we had to be in our little office and, and enter all of the data. And drink and, beer with a minus. And to, uh, we usually <laughs> did that in the evenings. <laughs> so we entered the data and um, to make that a little bit more pleasant, we had this office playlist that was compiled of a lot of better and worse songs. And I chose that one that was on our office playlist. And it just summed up our life very well because it just felt like full of sunshine, lollipops, rainbows and <laughs> unicorns. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm not sure if a PhD should be that much fun, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> Thank you. And um, yeah, we, have, we'll, we will be back next week. Bye for now. Sunshine, lollipops and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. Brighter than a lucky penny when you're near the rain goes, disappears, dear, and I feel so fine just to know that you are mine. My life is sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. That's how this ring goes. So come on, join in. Everybody, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is sure to come your way when you're in my